Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. What is your concept of happiness? And we, we had a comment from a guy called um, John Calvin, an observation. Most people hold the erroneous belief that the happy person is the one who is free from annoyance, attains all their wishes, and leads a joyful, easy life. The mistaken idea that true happiness is about our present emotional state or maybe circumstances. Um, Today's readers, um, now 2,000 years into Christian history, are so well accustomed to thinking positively about the content of the Beatitudes that we're going to look at, Um, that they fail to look directly into the darkness of them. And uh, if you remember, I introduced the term black gold. And uh, so the attitudes are a series of nine macarisms, three by three, I think, uh, and they contain a rich deposit of black gold. Why black gold? Well, they present true human flourishing, which is awesome. That's what we want. We want you doing well. Uh, in your life, and uh, but they they're couched in qualities, uh, really, and suffering that humans normally try to avoid. You know, if if you look up some um, uh, self-help stuff, if you look up some some things to help you with your life, these kind of things will probably not be on it. Jesus did it quite different. Uh, it's not naturally things that lead to happiness. So he mentions a negative. And then he puts a positive in, and then says this outcome. So, in Jesus' first preaching, it was something like this. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Do regret past sins. Stop making excuses. Live your life in a way that proves your change. Seek God's purpose for your life. And uh, in the Beatitudes, there's a lot of irony and paradox. You'll see it and a lot of future-orientated hope with some of the promises. The crowd is recorded as being powerfully shocked as Jesus reorientated their thinking on what it meant to sort of thrive. Um, The unexpected thing, I think, with the Beatitudes, and I found this as a young man, they just didn't make sense to me. I don't know what you think of them. Uh, um, I just kind of looked at them and went, how does that work? So the unexpected thing is that the Beatitudes appear humanly and naturally to be profoundly non-flourishing in nature. Upside down kingdom. So the Beatitudes are kind of like the core principles. Uh, They're principles of participation, I mentioned last time, of the kingdom of God. And the first four that we covered quickly were poor, realizing your need for God, The promise was you'll be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The next one was mourn. You can see this is the dark stuff, mourn. Who wants to mourn? Who wants some more grief? It's a willingness to change. Some people refer to it as godly sorrow. The promise is that you'll be comforted and that you'll be a possessor of God's kingdom realm. Uh, The next one is humble or humility. Uh, And the promise is that you'll receive God's grace and that you'll be a true inheritor of the world. Big promises. 
The next one is hunger and thirst for righteousness or what's right. Because you're aware of how not right the world is. It's all right to be aware. It's good to be aware of how not right the world is because you will want justice. You will work for justice and you will have a need for God to change it and you will be involved in the change in society and you will look forward to the return of Christ or God to finally change the world. And it also says there it leads to your satisfaction, having that in place in your life. These are attitudes of participation. That's the first four that we covered. That is our recap over. The Beatitudes, number five to nine, principles of participation. Matthew 5, 7 to 11, as we're going to be looking, the verses up behind you. Um, I'm going to go mostly on the New Living Translation. Merciful, number one. God blesses those who are merciful. Um, four, and where it says for, you better to put because. I'm not changing the Bible. It's just a translation improvement. It makes more sense. Because they will be shown mercy. And uh, what mercy is not, and some people mistake it for this, mercy is not weakness, okay? And uh, not at all. Uh, and there was a guy in the Bible who knows that when you read the characters of the Bible or characters in books, you can see yourself in other people or see yourself in other characters? This is, this is one guy we can see ourselves in but not be very pleased about it. And his name's Pharaoh. And he's a mirror in which we can see ourselves. Here's the verse. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, this was when Moses and Aaron were coming to him and God was challenging him, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Okay, so there was challenging stuff going down, but as soon as he got a little bit of respite, a little bit of reprieve, he's like, nah, deal's off. Um, and so as soon as the pressure or the call to account or maybe God's after you for something, uh, uh, you know, like Pharaoh, sometimes who's like a true politician really, he went back on his word, and so do we sometimes too. Um, and I just want to take the mickey out of you now, take the mickey out of you Christians, uh, and uh, you're going to enjoy this. We're not like this, are we? Oh no, not at all. No, if things aren't going well, you know, we quickly move past the he loves me, he loves me not, and we press in, yes, we press in. We up our game and we do a spiritual inventory. We read our Bible more, we pray more, we humble ourselves, which is good. And we kind of listen and we kind of do this, like, go like, God, are we good? You know, how many people here do that if something goes wrong in your life? You know, it's kind of like Christian 101. Um, but unfortunately, as soon as the pressure comes off and that's passed, hope springs eternal in the human you know and we so easily fall back to that old habit of self-indulgence attacked on faith that recreates God in our image and our likeness and the unholy trinity kicks back into place of me myself and I do we play Pharaoh in 2021 yes It's not good. <laughs> it's not good at all because I see that in my own life. 
Hey, we live in a world that seems to be witnessing increasing levels of violence. Um, there's fear, there's hatred. Um, society's becoming more adversarial. A young man in our church this week uh, got hit from behind. He was in his trade van. Uh, someone wasn't watching behind. He said he wasn't, didn't break suddenly. Got hit from behind. And the dude went around him with one finger up all the way along the road. Unfortunately, the dude that got hit in the trade van could see his number plate for quite a way. And now the police have it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> true story. So, Kora, <laughs> Kora. Uh, is, is mercy just wishing, wishful thinking today? Is it like just wishful thinking or is it relevant? Does it matter? And uh, what is mercy anyway? I found a really good definition and it's short. Mercy is a love that responds to human need in an unexpected or an unmerited way. It's when you step in to someone's world, sometimes around barriers, and, and it might be ethnic, social, moral divides, whatever. Jesus did this for people, and we can too. And we step in, and we do something kind. Okay, I'm sounding like Jacinda now. So, over the page. Mercy begins, or could begin, by you being open to someone with whom you might strongly disagree, maybe. But mercy doesn't end there. It might start with small acts of understanding that person. Um, and all that can lead to life changes, experiences of love. So mercy is a special type of love. And Jesus said, go and learn what this means. He said this to some hard-hearted hard -hearted people. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Don't get religious on me. I want mercy. For I came to call the not, not call the righteous, but sinners. And uh, there's a parable in the Bible. And uh, it's the one of the sheep and the goats. And it's kind of of judgment day. And it's a very public affair. And the sheep represent everyone who has helped those in need or given back to the world in some way. The goats represent those who have acted in an unkind or selfish way. You can find that in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. It's quite long, so we're not going into it. But it's a scene of like judgment day told in a parable that Jesus said using agricultural examples. Okay, Sheep and goats. Be a sheep, according to the parable. <laughs> Good on you. So that's the first one. Next one's purity of heart. And it doesn't mean being simplistic or gullible. I love it when people are gullible because you can tease them. But um, it says here, Matthew 5, 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. Uh, for, because again, they will see God. Wow, who here wants to see God? And I want you to remind you too that these things are not just like heaven after you die stuff. These are now and then. All of them are now and then. If you want to see God more in this life, life have a pure heart. God blesses those whose hearts are pure for or because they will see God now and then. You know, when I was a young person and I came to Christ, I, 
I began to sort of know God's forgiveness and my convictions began to change, what my right and wrong began to change. And I wanted to change, but I had a little power to do it. And in difficult circumstances, there go those difficult circumstances again, which always put the pressure on us and push us in a certain way. Thank you, God, for difficult circumstances. It caused me to cry out for help. And honestly, the answers came thick and fast. I've never had prayer answered so quickly. By the way, in Prayer Connect at the moment, we're having some amazing answers to prayer. Real awesome ones. And other people. So, so you listened to last week to the prayer message. That prayer track that he gave on the, on the Lord's Prayer is down there. Get it? Get cracking? You'll see some amazing answers too. I think they're picking up. I think God's stepping up. Yeah. So uh, honestly, cry out to the Lord Jesus for help. You'll get an answer. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Please. He's the one who's called to stand next to you as your helper. Don't struggle on your own. You can't get purer than the Holy Spirit. His other name is the Spirit of Holiness, which means like purity is part of holiness. It's just part of what it is, but there we go. The Aramaic term for the Holy Spirit there is parakleta, which means a redeemer who ends the curse. The Holy Spirit comes to end the work of the curse of sin in your life and mine and to save us from it. Come on, cooperate with him. He's really the best friend you have. Oh, ho-hum, ho-hum. Really? I don't know. Some of you need to get saved. Experience, experience God's forgiveness through what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Yield your issues to God. He knows all about them, surprisingly. He knows you better than what you know yourself. Because when we're really lost, we can be found in him and things start to make sense. Wow, we're slow. We're slow to get into this stuff. You need to get onto it faster. Establish and maintain a clear conscience with God and people. You know, as a young person, that brought so much peace to my life, a clear conscience. I thought I could be in prison and be as free as anything because I've got a clear conscience. I don't feel guilty about anything that I've done to another person. God's forgiven me. Who am I not to forgive myself? So when the devil reminded me of my past, I reminded him of his future. <laughs> Hell is for the devil and his angels. It was never designed for humans. And the last one, get the word of God into your inner life and into your practice. And just on closeness to God and purity of heart, the closer you are to God, the more purity of heart you will experience, the more you will see. The disciple who was the closest to Jesus is called John the Revelator. He wrote a gospel, three epistles, and the book of Revelations, amazing visions and stuff like that. He had probably as much revelation almost as the Apostle Paul. These were people that were close to God. And when you're close to God, God speaks to you more. You see stuff. You notice stuff more. You can be as close to God as you want to. If you just do what I've said just there, if you don't feel close to God, start prioritizing some time. Have an honest conversation with God. Don't play religious on him. He doesn't like it. 
he'll just, you know, sometimes I've been praying about things religiously and he'll just cut around that and go straight to the thing and speak to you about it. And it's like, oh, okay, well I was getting going to get round to that, but you know what I mean? <laughs> just go straight to it. God likes an honest chat. Peacemakers, number three. God blesses those who work for peace. Four, because, thank you, they will be called the children of God. All right. Society in New Zealand has walked away from God for some years and there's a real craziness starting to kick in, as I've already mentioned. If you want to read Isaiah 59 in your own time, it reads like New Zealand society. I just got a couple of little things. Yes, truth is gone and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. It's getting a little bit like that in New Zealand. They don't know where to find peace or what it means to be just and good. They have mapped out crooked roads and no one follows and no one who follows them knows a moment's peace. It's very important as parents, can I just speak to parents for a moment, that you don't bring all your stress into your home. You need to be a pool of peace. Mums and dads, you need to be a pool of peace and you need to lead, let your children enjoy that peace and tell them where it comes from. Don't put all your stress on your kids. It doesn't bring a good result. Right. It's also not right that you, Christian, enjoy God's peace and keep it all to yourself. Jesus' message is called the good news of peace. Tell others. The Bible says in Romans, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says this, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, reconciling people into peace with God and with each other. You're a peacemaker. You are a peacemaker. You have the gospel of peace. You know you got peace with God when you became a Christian. Share it. People don't want to know. That's okay. Pray for them. Sow a seed. They'll come around. Or not, but you've told them. And because you've told them, it'll increase your peace. Persecuted for doing what's right. Oh, this is where the real dark stuff begins. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs, now and forever. In brackets, of course. It's not in there. Um, some of the blessings that come from persecution. Persecution is when someone hammers you for being a Christian or, or being a person of faith. You have a connection to the great crowd of witnesses. Now, only Christians here will understand that. Um, the great crowd of witnesses is, uh, it's like, okay, so I go into a marae, and on the marae wall are all the photos of the forebears, the ancestors. That's kind of like the cloud of witnesses. And the people who, who uh, gather at that marae honour the forebears, correct? 
So we think we, we honor and we are connected to all the Christians that have gone before that live for Christ. That's called the cloud of witnesses. They're still alive, but they're in heavenly places and they cheer us on in our journey in life. Those who suffer persecution today are not the first and won't be the last, but they can take comfort in knowing they're not alone in their sufferings. That's the point of that. If you want to read about that great cloud of witnesses thing, Hebrews 11. Uh, number two, you experience Christ in a new way. When Christians are persecuted, they can rest in the knowledge that Jesus understands their pain. He knows what it's like to be hated. In fact, he said, if they do it to me, they'll do it to you. Don't be surprised. He was hated and mocked. It'll come your way. He knows what it's like to be put to death. Hope that doesn't come your way. But in the midst of your suffering, he will be your comfort. You develop spiritual strength, number three. Persecution is like a refining fire. It forces us to rely on the Lord for everything. It makes you ask yourself, am I really willing to die for this? And I think in life you really have to choose which cross you die on, actually. Sometimes we throw ourselves forward for stuff. It's like, eh, you shouldn't have done that. But when it comes to being challenged in your faith like this, it's good. You must make a hard choice to believe in the Lord and to love others even when you're hurting or have been hurt. That's, that's maturity. That's character. Ooh, that's getting down to the nitty gritty. I'm not offended. I'm going to love this person back. Help me, God. What did Jesus say? When people use you and da-da-da-da-da, pray for them. Pray for them. Bless them. Don't gossip about them. Don't curse them. Operate in a different spirit. Operate more like your Father in heaven, Jesus would say. Anyway, uh, Jesus promises oh, you will receive, oh, you'll receive a heavenly blessing. Jesus promises that those who experience persecution here on earth will receive a blessing in heaven. It's like a special identity or badge in heaven. There's a special group of people that have laid down their lives for the cause of the gospel. Um, always important to remember too that our life here on earth is not our final destination. Just always remember that, um, especially if you're in pain. That's not your final destination. That too will come to pass, that pain. Uh, and the church, this is the most amazing thing under persecution, the church grows. It grows like wildfire. Now persecution is a terrible and scary thought. However, we serve a God who brings what from ashes? Beauty. What from weakness? Strength. We, um, the organisation, which is worldhelp.net, they say they hear from Christians who are suffering from persecution and they do not ask for the persecution to stop when they ask for help. They ask that God will be glorified. They ask that the gospel will transform lives. They ask that their families and their nation will be renewed by the love of Christ. They want more of God in that situation. They want to shine brighter in that situation. And some of the stuff they go through 
is just horrible. Honestly, the guys in prison getting tortured, the ladies at home with no income, children taken off, ladies sometimes. Amazing what people, how cruel people can be to other people. Sometimes in the name of God. There. Yeah. And then the next one and the last one is experiencing hostility and abuse. It's like next level persecution now for being a follower of Jesus. Now, if you kind of hide as a Christian and you don't tell anyone about Christ and you don't share your faith and maybe you don't go to church as well but you just kind of like keep everything on the down low, you might be left alone. But I think the Holy Ghost will be after you. And it might be not so good for you on that day. Verse 11 of Matthew 5 says, it's verse 11 and 12, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you. Oh, just bring it on. And say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy. One translation goes, leap for joy. It's like... That's what I said, this didn't used to make sense to me. And with persecution, to be honest, it really still doesn't. But it will. It will. It's coming our way, people. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. That's the cloud of witnesses. Now, all over the world, persecution against Christians is rising. And what's been in conflict nations and that sort of thing is starting to spread to the west all right and it's rising both in frequency and intensity um, though it differs in nature based on location age gender ethnicity culture family and many more factors the common thread is that persecution exists where the gospel is being preached so if we're not getting too hard a time in New Zealand at the moment guess what we're not preaching the gospel all that loud. And from the, uh, if you go to, I think we're having someone coming later this year from Open Doors, which is an organisation that serves the perse persecuted church. And I just looked up their website and uh, they have a top 50 of the most dangerous countries to follow Jesus in. Here they are. And here's the seven main sources of the 50 the top one is Islamic oppression, 26 out of 50 of the most dangerous countries. The next one is 10 out of 50, and it's from dictators, dictatorial paranoia. I think uh, North Korea is way up there on that one, and number one in the world. The next one would be clan oppression, 4 out of 50. The next one is communist and post-communist oppression, 3 out of 50. Uh, the next one is religious nationalism. Uh, that's mainly Buddhist and Hindu faiths where those faiths are militant. That's three out of 50. And uh, the next one is denominational protectionism. That's Christians persecuting Christians. Two out of 50. It's usually where a government is tightly controlling one, usually an orthodox kind of church, and they're using that church to control the rest of the popula Christian population and usually uh, the government's in there behind it, uh, enforcing it, and forcing that 
orthodox church to knock on people and that sort of thing. And oh, the last one is organised corruption and crime. Two out of 50, think Colombia probably, uh, where the, the gangs and the drugs and the murders and the, it's just terrible. Um, so anyway, in Romans it says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So it's a time to be quite serious and sober as a Christian. It's a time to know what you believe. It's a time to count the cost. It's a time to be real. Because those last two things that I talked about will come to New Zealand. The season's changing, I think, in Northland. I'm not sure about the rest of the country. And I believe we're entering a season of harvest. Answers to prayer are going up, like I say. People are going to come to Christ more. And that won't draw any flack to start with. It'll be watched. But as it picks up momentum, some people will observe that and get quite unhappy about it. And then some hard times might come. Just remember with the first revival in New Zealand, the Holy Spirit moved amongst Māoridom, thousands upon thousands upon thousands living as Christians. And then the colonial power that came in stood up and ripped them off and took their land, separated them from the missionaries that they looked up to, told a heap of lies about those missionaries. So if the first revival in New Zealand got attacked, guess what? But it won't happen straight away. That's my personal opinion. Obviously, I'm relying on a bit of just insight and prophetic feeling and stuff there. Uh, but the good thing is, is God is moving in our land. Now, just something to finish on. When the net gets tight and there's lots in it and I've got Eddie alongside me holding on the net, you've got someone on each side of you and you're doing your job, you're doing your role it's really uncool if I get annoyed with Eddie and get antsy with him in front of whoever's in the net. Do you know what I mean? By net, I mean a haul of fish. Harvest, same thing. And so watch your relationships. Christian workers, watch your relationships with one another. Be careful. Be careful. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.